Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Wealthy Sisters is on the air. Wealthy Sisters, the show that features six- and seven-figure-earning women of color. Tune in Mondays at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time as entrepreneur, author, speaker, Deborah Hartsett showcases the triumphant journey of these powerful sisters. You'll be inspired, encouraged, and informed every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. Our call-in number is 347-838-9278 or listen live 24 hours a day at www.wealthysisters.com. Now, our host, Deborah Hardnett. Well, hello and a welcome to Wealthy Sisters, sponsored by the Big Thinkers Academy, where we provide professional solutions for maximizing human potential. You can visit us at www.bigthinkersacademy.com. Wealthy Sisters is where we celebrate the lives of six- and seven-figure earning women, and our purpose, you know, is twofold. First, we love to inspire and encourage you, the listener, and second, we always always must edify, promote, and acknowledge and say thank you to the sisters for doing big things. I'm Deborah Hartnett, your host, broadcasting live on the Worldwide Blog Talk Network, and I want to wish everybody a very, very, very special happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Today happens to be Monday, January 16, 2012. We know his actual birthday was on yesterday, uh, January 15th, and I hope that you all are as excited about your future as I am because trust me is extremely bright. I mean, anytime we have someone that has made and paid such a sacrifice for all of us, oh wow, I mean, it's just incredible that what we can do once we actually visualize and see it and come together. So we are here. I want to remind you of that every week at the same time. That's Mondays at 12 noon Eastern. So we need you to go and spread the word right now. Today's show, I'm just so excited about it. Um, we are going to pay a special tribute. We're going to pay homage to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I want to take a few of your calls in between. Uh, Today we're going to be tuned in and listening to uh, his speech that he did on April the 7th, 1957. 1957 that was, called The Birth of a New Nation. And I thought it was very timely today where we here in America um, are uh, really across the world. We know the way our world is, has, is, has come together because of the social media and the technology. It literally is a smaller world uh, now. But it's, in particular, we're talking about what we're facing here within our country, a lot of the challenges that have been put before us and, and uh, you know, the, the left or the right and what's happening on the hill and on capitol of washington and you know where the 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 people the true people of the united states the 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 grassroots all the things that are happening and i thought that it would be a, a perfect time to play this symbolic 
symbolic speech uh, today um, that Dr. King did called The Birth of a New Nation. And, you know, it's I, I just was thinking today, uh, I, I normally don't watch television uh, in the morning, particularly don't watch much, but, you know, in the morning time that's not my routine, so I thought that I would, you know, kind of see what was on and, I'm just thinking about where where is our conversation today? So we kind of want to challenge ourselves on that. What are we talking about today? You know, how are we living? Of course, everybody always says, what is the legacy today? How are we carrying that out? But really, how are we in our homes? What are we teaching our children? I mean, what do they know about the civil rights movement? What do they know about the cost that was paid today for all of our freedoms? And I think that's the kind of conversation that we really need to be having today, um, you know, as opposed to a lot of things that I was flipping through. It just it still amazes me that um, a lot of our focus, a lot of the major airtime focus is on celebrities and their lifestyles and what they're wearing to this event and what they're doing. But at the same time, what are we doing to promote the economics that we need to promote and to for the freedoms and to uplift those things. So I, I just want everybody right now that if you if if you haven't heard this speech, you know, a lot of times we hear clips and I remember growing up in school, I mean, we didn't really study these uh these speeches, but I think, man, if we if we could really study the words and, and just just hear, not just of course what Dr. King talked about, but a lot of the great orators um of our times and and and, and the movement and, and everything that they promoted and the consciousness of us helping us to think more because everything we know begins with a thought. And if we train ourselves to think on a different level instead of worrying about and thinking about and talking about and having conversations about really nothing that can really affect us or benefit us. So I, I just encourage you right now to, you know, text everybody that you know, uh, tweet, Tell them Facebook. Tell them to tune in to the show right now, 347-838-9278, so that they can hear the words of Dr. King firsthand on what he was saying. And I think, I know, I know it will have an impact on all of us. Uh, today as we move forward. So please, again, dial 347-838-9278. You can also tell them they can always tune in at Wealthy Sisters Radio. That's Wealthy Sisters Radio. Uh, That's S-I-S-T-A-S, radio.com. And you can always follow us on Facebook. Go right now and follow us there. Um, Like us there. On Twitter, you can follow us under Wealthy Sisters as well. We are there. And even if you dial in on the Blog Talk Network, if you click follow there. We promise we're going to bring you content, substance, rich substance every week. Um, Get that reminder. So go ahead and do that now. And we always want you to know that we're available on iTunes as well. So we're going to go right into the speech and uh, we will have a break in between. I'd like to take some comments from you as well. So take notes as we tune in to Dr. King as his special speech that he did on April 7th, 1957, at the Dexter Street Baptist Church there in Montgomery, Alabama. We're tuning in now to part one of Dr. King.
accomplish the birth of a new nation. Now I'd like to use as a basis for our thinking together a story that has long since been stenciled on the mental sheets of succeeding generations. It is a story of the exodus, the story of the flight of the Hebrew people from the bondage of Egypt through the wilderness and finally to the promised land. It's a beautiful story. I had the privilege the other night of seeing the story in movie terms in New York City entitled The Ten Commandments. And I came to see it in all of its beauty. The struggle of Moses. The struggle of his devoted followers as they sought to get out of Egypt. They finally moved on to the wilderness and toward the promised land. This is something of the story of every people struggling for freedom. It is the first story of man's explicit quest for freedom. And it demonstrates the stages that seem to inevitably follow the quest for freedom. Prior to March the 6th, 1957, there existed a country known as the Gold Coast. This country was a colony of the British Empire. This country was situated in that vast continent known as Africa. I'm sure you know a great deal about Africa, that continent with some 200 million people. And it extends and covers a great deal of territory. There are many familiar names associated with Africa that you will probably remember. And there are some countries in Africa that many people never realize. For instance, Egypt is in Africa. That is that vast area of North Africa with Egypt and Ethiopia, with Tunisia and Algeria and Morocco. Libya. Then you might move to South Africa and you think of that extensive territory known as the Union of South Africa. 
There is that capital city, Johannesburg, that you read so much about these days. Then that is Central Africa, with places like Rhodesia and uh, the Belgian Congo. Then that is East Africa, with places like Kenya and Tanganyika, places like Uganda, and other very powerful countries right there. And then you move over to West Africa where you find the French West Africa and Nigeria and Liberia and Sierra Leone and places like that. It is in this spot, in this section of Africa that we find the Gold Coast there in West Africa. You also know that for years and for centuries Africa has been one of the most exploited continents in the history of the world. It's been the dark continent. It's been the continent that has suffered all of the pain and the affliction that could be mustered up by other nations. It is that continent which has experienced slavery which has experienced all of the lowest standards that we can think about, has been brought into being by the exploitation inflicted upon it by other nations. This country, the Gold Coast, was a part of this extensive continent known as Africa. It's a little country there in West Africa, about 91 thousand miles in area with a population of about five million people, a little more than four and a half million. It stands there with its capital city, Accra. For years, the Gold Coast was exploited and dominated and trampled over. The first European settlers came in there about 14 44, the Portuguese, and they started legitimate trade with the people in the Gold Coast. They started dealing with them with their gold, and in turn, they gave them guns and ammunition and gunpowder and that type of thing. But pretty soon, America was discovered a few years later in the 1400s. Then the British West Indies, and all of these growing discoveries brought about the slave trade. You remember it started in America in 1619. There was a big scramble for power in Africa. With the growth of the slave trade, that came into Africa, into the Gold Coast in particular. Not only the Portuguese, but also the Swedes and the Danes and the Dutch and the British. And all of these nations competed with each other to win the power of the Gold Coast so that they could exploit these people for commercial reasons and sell them into slavery. Finally, in 1850, Britain won out and she gained possession of the total territorial expansion of the Gold Coast from 1850. 1957, March 6th, the Gold Coast was a colony of the British Empire. 
There's a colony, she suffered all of the injustices, all of the exploitation, all of the humiliation that comes as a result of colonialism. But like all slavery, like all domination, like all exploitation, it came to the point that the people got tired of it. That seems to be the long story of history. There seems to be a throbbing desire. There seems to be an internal desire for freedom within the soul of every man. And it's there, it might not break forth in the beginning, but eventually it breaks out. For men realize that, that freedom is something basic. To rob a man of his freedom is to take from him the essential basis of his manhood take from him his freedom is to rob him of something of God's image. Paraphrase of the words of Shakespeare's old fellow who steals my purse, steals trash. To something nothing, t'was mine, tis his, has been the slave of thousands. But he who filches from me my freedom robs me of that which not enriches him, but makes me poor indeed. That is something in the soul that cries out for freedom. That is something deep down within the very soul of man that reaches out for Canaan. Men cannot be satisfied with Egypt. They try to adjust to it for a while. Many men have vested interests in Egypt. They are slow to leave. Egypt makes it profitable to them. Some people profit by Egypt. The vast majority of the masses of people never profit by Egypt, and they are never content with it. And eventually they rise up and begin to cry out for Canaan's land. And so these people got tired. It had a long history. As far back as 1844, the chiefs themselves of the Gold Coast rose up and came together and revolted against the British Empire. And the other powers that were in existence at that time dominating the Gold Coast. They revolted, saying that they wanted to govern themselves. But these powers clamped down on them and the British said that we will not let you go. About 1909, a young man was born on the 12th of September. History didn't know at that time what that young man had in his mind. Mother and father, illiterate, not a part of the powerful tribal life of Africa, not chiefs at all, but humble people. That boy grew up, he went to school at Archimota for a while in Africa. Then he finished there with honors and decided to work his way to America. He landed to America one day with about $50 in his pocket in terms of pounds getting ready to get an education, and he went down to Pennsylvania to Lincoln University. He started studying there, and he started reading the great insights of the philosophers. He started reading the great insights of the ages, and he finished that and took his theological degree there and preached a while around Philadelphia and other areas as he was in the country. Went over to the University of Pennsylvania and took up a master's there in philosophy and sociology. All the years that he stood in America, he was poor, he had to work hard. He 
says in his autobiography how he worked as a bellhop in hotels, as a dishwasher. During the summer, how he worked as a waiter trying to struggle through school. The original recording is briefly interrupted at this point. I want to go back home. I want to go back to West Africa, the land of my people, my native land. That is some work to be done there. Got a ship and went to London and stopped for a while by London School of Economy and picked up another degree there. Then while in London he came, he started thinking about Pan-Africanism, the problem of how to free his people from colonialism. For as he said, he always realized that colonialism was made for domination and for exploitation. It was made to keep a certain group down and exploit that group economically for the advantage of another. He studied and thought about all of this. One day he decided to go back to Africa. He got to Africa and he was immediately elected the executive secretary of the United Party of the Gold Coast. He worked hard and he started getting a following. And the people in this party, the old the people who had had their hands on the plow for a long time thought he was pushing a little too fast and they got a little jealous of his influence. So finally he had to break from the United Party of the Gold Coast and in 1949 he organized the Convention People's Party. This party that started out working for the independence of the Gold Coast. He started out in a humble way urging his people to unite for freedom, urging the officials of the British Empire to give them freedom. They were slow to respond, but the masses of people were with them, and they had united, become the most powerful and influential party that had ever been organized in that section of Africa. He started writing, and his companions with him, and Many of them started writing so much that the officials got afraid and they put them in jail and Krumah himself was finally placed in jail for several years because he was a seditious man. He was an agitator. He was imprisoned on the basis of sedition. He was placed there to stay in prison for many years, but he had inspired some people outside of prison. They got together just a few months after he had been in prison and elected him the prime minister while he was in prison. For a while, the British officials tried to keep him there. And Bettimer says one of his uh, close associates, the minister of finance, Mr. Bettimer, said that 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 night the people were getting ready to go down to the jail and get him out. But Bettimer said, this isn't the way. We can't do it like this. Violence will break out and we will defeat our purpose. The British Empire saw that they had better let him out. And in a few hours, Kwame Nkrumah was out of jail. The prime minister of the Gold Coast he was placed there for 15 years, but he only served eight or nine months. Now he comes out the Prime Minister of the Gold Coast. This was the struggling that had been going on for years. But now coming to the point that this little nation was moving toward its independence. Then 
came the continual agitation, the continual resistance, that the British Empire saw that it could no longer rule the Gold Coast. And they agreed that on the 6th of March, 1957, they would release this nation, that this nation would no longer be a colony of the British Empire, that this nation would be a sovereign nation within the British Commonwealth. And all of this was because of the persistent protest, the continual agitation on the part of Prime Minister Kwame Nkrumah and the other leaders who worked along with him and the masses of people who were willing to follow. So that day finally came. It was a great day. The week ahead was a great week. They had been preparing for this day for many years, and now it was here. People coming in from all over the world. They had started getting in by the 2nd of March. Seventy nations represented come to say to this new nation, we greet you. And we give you our moral support. We hope for you God's guidance as you move now into the realm of independence. From America itself, more than a hundred persons, the press, the diplomatic guests, and the prime minister's guests. Oh, it was a beautiful experience to see some of the leading persons on the scene of civil rights in America on hand to say greetings to you as this new nation was born. Look over. To my right is Adam Powell. To my left is Charles Diggs. To my right again is Ralph Bunch. To the other side is Her Majesty's First Minister of Jamaica Manning, Ambassador Jones of Liberia. All of these people from America, Mordecai Johnson, Horace Mann Bond, all of these people just going over to say we want to greet you and we want you to know that you have our moral support as you grow. Then you look out and see the Vice President of the United States, you see A. Philip Randolph, you see all of the people who have stood in the forefront of the struggle for civil rights over the years coming over to Africa say we bid you Godspeed. This was a great day, not only for Nkrumah, but for the whole of the Gold Coast. We'll take a break now. I want to just get a feel from our audience. You can dial 347-838-9278. We are listening. If you just tuned in, uh, this is Wealthy Sisters, and we welcome you. We're listening to none other than Dr. King and his famous speech, uh, A Birth of a New Nation. And uh, it was done April the 7th, as you're hearing him tell the story of the freedom of the Gold Coast, which we know today is Ghana. It was April 7, 1957, and I uh, just kind of want to get a feel from where uh, our listeners are today, what does freedom mean to you today, and what you are doing to uphold the legacy and, and how you are training others and teaching your children, whatever. So I want to open the lines. I, I know we do have uh, a special call on the line as well. We have Miss Peggy Morris, who's absolutely, absolutely just a woman that if you don't know her, you'd really need to get to know her. She's just a, 
a genuine spirit, that is the the utmost, the first thing I would say and you would recognize about her. She's just a beautiful person and always giving, always wanting to share. And she heads up along with some other dynamic sisters, an organization called Sister for Sisters Network out of the uh, Washington, D.C. metropolitan area. So just want to bring Peggy on the line. And Peggy, how are you doing today? Hey, Deborah, how are you, my sister? My wonderful, goodness, wonderful, wonderful, well, welcome. <laughs> you know I was. <laughs> You're so humble, you might not know that, but, uh, you know, I truly was and uh, really mean every word that I say. You just, from the first time I moved to the area, you know, you just, just took me in just like, like I'd been living here forever, and it's always, <laughs> always given. So we want to welcome you on the line today. Tell us, what does this day mean to you? What does Dr. King's legacy mean to you? And uh, as far as freedom and economics for women, I know with your organization there, share what your thoughts and feelings are on that, please. Well, Deborah, you know, I really had to take a moment to reflect. You know, we always want to look at, uh, what has brought us to where we are today. And I, I took a moment and I, I went back and I kind of looked at where I was the day that we got the word about his death, about the assassination. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time I was, I think I was about 16, I was in maybe the 11th, 12th grade. And I can recall coming home uh, on that particular day and walking through the streets of East Baltimore and mm-hmm. people were crying and and they were holding their head down, and I, I really couldn't figure out what was happening until mm-hmm. I got home that day. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it was like, my goodness, it was almost like the world had was coming to an end. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I look and, and I speed up the time until where we are today, and we have come a long way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We truly really have come a long way. And mm-hmm. with with his words, I believe have taken us, on a journey, a journey that none of us can forget. Uh, I guess I'm so passionate about that because uh, I also think about the day um, my son, my mm-hmm. son was born on his birthday. Mm. Uh, oh, wow. So yesterday yeah. was his birthday as well, huh? Yesterday was okay. his birthday. Uh-huh. So I, I'm truly honored, and I instilled all the things that Martin Luther King taught us through those days, I shared with my son. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and today, well, yesterday he celebrated his 41st birthday. Oh. And, and and amazing enough, he is gone into the ministry. Wow. The same way Martin Luther King, and it just touches my heart. So I, I guess I'm just humbled. I am blessed. And I don't take anything for granted. I, I love to share. And as you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, I don't think about those things until somebody brings it to my attention and say how I, I give and I share and, and I try to right. empower women. But uh, I wouldn't have any, any kind of way but to do exactly that. Right, right. What's, and I know that you've had a, a, a beautiful career as a photographer as well and have worked and been all over. How do you How do you feel? Do you sometimes, you know, growing up here in this area, do you sometimes – just say, wow, you know, when you say how far we've come and, you know, what was it like before? Would you, would you be able to be where you are today if it had not been for that sacrifice um, that well, you know, not only, of course, Dr. King made, but the whole 
the whole movement. You, and you, you mentioned about the photographer, the photography mm-hmm. piece that I do. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It just hit me that I had the opportunity to actually photograph Mrs. Galetta Scott King. Wow. Wow. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's great. That's wonderful. And, That's wonderful. And, and the photography to me has been, it allows me to leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. It allows me to document our history. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think about that until just a moment ago when you mentioned about the photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good friend of mine who uh, works at John Hopkins Hospital, they had a, a celebration for Martin Luther King, uh, and that was before his wife passed away, before Mrs. King passed away. And she invited me to come up to John Hopkins uh, Hospital, and there was Mrs. Coretta Scott King. Uh, Kathy Hughes was there as well. She brought her in. Mm-hmm. And they had this wonderful ceremony, and I, I'm not trying to get off on the, the, the topic, but it was just just wonderful to meet her and the warm spirit that she had uh, in right. her soul. Uh, right. Amazing. Amazing. Well, you know, definitely um, growing up in Atlanta, that, that, you know, that was something that we had an opportunity to be a part of. I grew up in a civil rights church with uh, Reverend da- uh, Ralph David Abernathy, who was the, you know, general right there of uh, with Dr. King. So being a part of that, you know, was just, just a major influence in my life as well, and I can totally relate to what you're saying. I, I love what um, is Sibley, I guess here, A. Sibley in the chat room, it says that, you know, hey, our cities, you know, today we have come a long way, but she's bringing up the point about the challenges. And and I I encourage you to dial in, uh, A. Sibley, if you dial in 347-838-9278, press 1 so that we know that you like to make a comment. Um, where we are today with our prisons and filled with young black men and, and the challenges that we face in our inner cities, what do we, and, and anyone else, that call in 347-838-9278, what do you feel we need to do to restore this? I mean, I think a lot of times we look outside but and I want to get I only I only only take a probably about three to four minutes and then we're going to get back into the speech because Dr. King talked about us doing and he always talked about responsibility and us moving forward with that. I, what where does the responsibility for us um, lie in teaching and in in showing our children? Do we think that that would make a difference? Would have made a difference? Uh, for the situation that we have today to teach our children the sacrifices that we've made, you know, the, the, that, that, the legacy that we, we stand for, the, the fact that we are ancestors of the people who went across the Middle Passage who survived that, the most horrific boat tour in the world, uh, you know, being chained and 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 on top of each other, just if you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go Google the Middle Passage, and you will see yes. we are survivors of that of slavery yes. and civil rights. And today, I mean, the things that we face are are of course issues of today, and everything is is relative to that time. And you can't rely just saying, well, this was like this in the past, because the environment affects everything. It's it, it's just not one thing, but 
I'm wondering, you know, how could we we today teach? So our lines are lighting up here. I want to uh, hold on there, Peg. I want to uh, take a call right here. Sure. 217, 217 area code. Hello, welcome to Wealthy Sisters. Special tribute to Dr. Martin Luther King today. State your name and where you're calling from, please. Hi, this is your A. Sibley. This is Ann Sibley from Illinois. Yes, um, thank you for calling in, Ann. Thank you so much for putting that out there. Welcome. I think, woman of God, people of God, what we have to do is to do what you're doing. We got to get it out there. Oh mm-hmm. yes, we've come a long way, mm-hmm. but we got such a long way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I look at the fact that um, you can go into any Walmart in the United States of America, and you can see the Oriental. He had his nail mm-hmm. shop. You mm-hmm. see where they can get help where you and I mm-hmm. can't get. There's something wrong. There's something still wrong. Uh, there's enough money for the inner cities. You and I, the intelligence of the people of God that is on this line, I'm looking at them and seeing their comments. If they were to put just some of the resources into our communities, into our schools, some of the things mm-hmm. that the, uh, the United States is trying to do, we could turn this thing around. I'm wanting to know, I'm wanting to know, why is America so against the black man? Well, you know that is that is, and I'm glad you brought that 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 statement up. And that's definitely there are so many um, valid points to that uh, as well. And like I said, we're going to get back into the the speech with Dr. King. And you know, today I'm also wondering, with all of the the, the sacrifices that were made, what can we do right now uh, for us? Because I think the documentation, I think it's proven that we cannot just rely on an outside source to take care and do, you know, what we need to do for ourselves. Not saying that we should not have these resources. And, you know, as a, a as a business person who I, I have a, a women's organization and we provide resources and we provide knowledge. But honestly, Sister Ann, I have to tell you, it is sometimes like pulling teeth for people to even want to get the knowledge, to to get the resources to help. We a lot of times our our values and where we we shift our focus. Just like I was saying, you know, today as we turn on the television and what are the conversations that we're having? You know, we're talking about who you know these these television shows that we're promoting. Those are the conversations that we talk about. These reality shows. What? So I'm saying what. Can we do? Because yes, I agree. We need to have more resources. But what can we do um, to to come in and take up and, and on that? So I, anyone want to come in on that as well? I thank you for calling in uh, and sharing that that valuable uh, statement too as well. Uh, we have another caller nine oh four nine oh four. Welcome to Wealthy Sisters. What's your comment about what we can do? State your name and where you're calling from, please. Hi, my name is Monica Roberts, and I'm actually calling from Jacksonville, Florida. Yes. And thank you, thank you for <clears throat> having me on, um, allowing me to be able to share some some of my thoughts and beliefs on what we can do. And, and mm-hmm. definitely piggybacking off of what the lady said earlier, but me yes. personally, I believe that we need to change our minds first of all. Okay. Um, with that being okay. said, not looking so much as for what other people can do for us because 
even with the Obama campaign and everything, people were looking for such a change, but we got to make a change in our house. We can't worry right. about a change because right. a change right. in our house is what affects us. The change right. in the White exactly. House is going to happen regardless of whether we're a part of it or not. Right. And if we don't make a change in our house and make stands and, and start changing generational curses where we're looking for them to do something for us and use the vehicles that we have in place because there is a lot of resources out there. And like mm-hmm. you, I'm I'm sit on a board of a nonprofit, and we mm-hmm. reach we try to so much to reach out to our community. And it's like what you're saying; it's like pulling mm-hmm. teeth to get the people to mm-hmm. absorb the information or to get the people to do what they need to do. As far as even simple things like filling out the form, fill out application. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I we know. have to change our mindset as a people as a whole and educate our people and get them engaged and involved in what's going on in our community. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, like I said, Miss um, Sibley, she brought up a great point, you know, that there are resources available um, that we need to actually go after um, as, as, as well and, um, you know, that, that, that need to be available for as well. But, um, yeah, you know, it's it's got to be something that we start doing right now, you know, and I think I think what will happen once we begin making that move and doing something different and 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 changing our mindset, then those resources and and all of those other things that are uh, are available, they will come, I think. Um of course, but I want to take one more caller and then we're going to uh go right back into the speech. Thank you for calling in. Uh, this is Wealthy Sisters, and you're tuned in today to our special tribute to Dr. Martin Luther King as we're going to hop back into his speech here after this one call as a birth of a new nation that he did on April the 7th, 1957. This is 678 area code. Hello, welcome to Wealthy Sisters. Thank you for calling in today. State your name and where you're calling from, please. Uh, this is John from Atlanta. Hello, Deborah. This is uh, uh, hey, like John. I'm a big fan How of are yours. You? I'm doing really good, and I know you have to be brief, but I just want to let you know I love what you guys are discussing. I think uh, the the biggest solution for the challenges that we have as a people is communication. I mean, as we uh, use the platforms like we have today, communication is, is, is something that has to permeate, you know, throughout our communities and whatnot in such a way that we can start to address you know, the things that we have to deal with uh, on a more frequent basis. So I just wanted to thank you for the show today. Really didn't have much to say, but you know I love what you do, and I just wanted to say thanks and great job to all the call-in people and, and supporting your show. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much, and we know that uh, definitely you have a, a fantastic show as well. Uh, g- give everybody your show's name so they can check you out on the Blog Talk Network as well. Well, I appreciate that. I wasn't calling for that, but thank you for the opportunity. Uh-huh. The name of my show is, is Say It, I'm a Millionaire, and uh, I believe um, that we can have what we say. And uh, right. that's well, I practice it, I preach it, and uh, I want to encourage others to profess the things that they really want, not so much so what they don't want, because we know right. with God things are possible, but it starts with what comes up out of our mouth because that's what's in our hearts. So if we say what we what we believe and mean what we say, we will have it. 
I appreciate All right, that. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I I also wanted to bring up the point. I, I love what Miss um Ann said, you know, it's nothing that we can do as a whole if we if we if we're locked in chains. And that I wanna piggyback off to our caller that called in from Jacksonville. That is a, a point um that I think deals with the mindset, you know, that you, you mentioned uh as well. I'm sorry that uh, I forgot your name. You're still on the line there. Give me your Monica name. Robert. Monica, yeah, yeah. From the chains and, and you're right, and we do have the chains and they are they are literally on our minds, you know, our mindset as well. I think if we could definitely um continue to focus on eliminating those chains. We talk about in our business how you should have a positive, a deliberate positive programming, reprogramming how we were even taught and how we even think and how we would, you know, even see things that we can do. Just like John, our caller, just said that, you know, the sky and beyond is absolutely the limit and everything begins with a thought and what we believe, what we believe we can do, you know, and that's what, that's what our, our, our ancestors believed. They believed they could survive. They believed in, in the slavery. I mean, Harriet Tubman, what she did, I love the fact that uh, she had to carry a, I mean, well, I'm not saying that that was a great point, but the point was she carried a rifle, you know, because she said, look, you either going, and if you're not going, I'm going to have to take you out because you cannot go back and tell, you know, where we are and tell our past. And, you know, it was like pulling teeth again, trying to get people to to leave what you know, even if we go back to the, if you study in, in the scriptures with 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 uh, the uh, escapade or the exodus, shall I say, of Egypt. You know, people did not want to readily leave that, but it, it has to be something within us that rise up. And I'm going to just let Dr. King Go ahead and share more. And this, again, is Wealthy Sisters. We want to thank you for tuning in today. Uh, we are live here, and we're listening to and paying special tribute to and taking time out to listen today to the special speech that Dr. King did on April the 7th. 1957, this was right after the Gold Coast, which we know today as Ghana, received their freedom. And, uh, man, he just, was just finished telling us, if you just joined in, he just finished telling us this whole list that uh, A. Philip Randolph that was there, just all these people that he was, you know, just right there in this time. And uh, I just, I'm just i just thrilled to, to learn more about it. So we're going to go right back to the speech here, and normally our show is 60 Minutes. We did extend it today, and I uh, want to thank you for tuning in. So here is Dr. King, April 7, 1957, Part 2. Now, then came Tuesday, December the 5th, many events leading up to it that night, we walked into the closing of Parliament, closing of the old Parliament, the old Parliament which was presided over by the British Empire, the old Parliament which designated colonialism and imperialism. Now that Parliament is closed. That was a great sight and a great picture and a great scene. We sat there that night, just about 500 able to get in there, 
people, thousands and thousands of people waiting outside, just about 500 in there. We were fortunate enough to be sitting there at that moment as guests of the Prime Minister. At that hour, we noticed Prime Minister Nkrumah walking in with all of his ministers, with the justices of the Supreme Court of the Gold Coast, with all of the people of the Convention People's Party, the leaders of that party. Nkrumah came up to make his closing speech to the old Gold Coast with something old now passing away. The thing that impressed me more than anything else that night was the fact that when Nkrumah walked in and his other ministers who had been in prison with him, they didn't come in with the crowns and all of the garments of kings, but they walked in with prison caps and the coats that they had lived with for all of the months that they had been in prison. Nkrumah stood up and made his closing speech to Parliament with the little cap that he wore in prison for several months the coat that he wore in prison for several months, and all of his ministers round about him. That was a great hour. Old Parliament passing away. Then at 12 o'clock that night, we walked out. As we walked out, we noticed all over the polo grounds almost a half a million people. They had waited for this hour and this moment for years. We walked out of the door and looked at that beautiful building. We looked up to the top of it. There was a little flag that had been flowing around the sky for many years. It was the Union Jack flag of the Gold Coast, the British flag, you see. At 12 o'clock that night, we saw a little flag coming down. And another flag went up. Old June Union flag, Jack flag came down and the new flag of corner went up. This was a new nation now. A new nation being born and when Prime Minister Nkrumah stood up before his people out in the polo ground and said we are no longer a British colony. We are the free sovereign people. All over that vast throng of people we could see tears. I stood there thinking about so many things. Before I knew it, I started weeping. I was crying for joy. I knew about all of the struggles and all of the pain and all of the agony that these people had gone through for this moment. And after Nkrumah had made that final speech, it was about 12.30 now, we walked away. We could hear little children, six years old, and old people, eight and ninety years old, walking the streets of a cross, crying, freedom, freedom. They couldn't say it in the sense that we said. Many of them don't speak English too well, but they had the accents, and it could ring out, freedom. They were crying it in a sense that they had never heard it before. And I could hear that old Negro spiritual once more crying out, Free at last, free at last, great God Almighty, I'm free at last. They were experiencing that in their very souls. And everywhere we turned, we could hear it ringing out from the housetop. We could hear it from every corner, every nook and crook of the community. Freedom, freedom. This was the birth of a new nation. This was the breaking of loose. When the morning
opening of Parliament was held. There again we were able to get on the inside. There Nkrumah made his new speech. Now the Prime Minister of the Gold Coast with no superior. With all of the power that Macmillan of England has. With all of the power that Nehru of India has. Now a free nation. Now the Prime Minister of a sovereign nation. Duchess of Kent walked in. Duchess of Kent, who represented the Queen of England, no longer had authority now. She was just a passing visitor now. The night before, she was the official leader and spokesman for the Queen, thereby the power behind the throne of the Gold Coast. But now it's gone. It's a new nation now. And she's just an official visitor like M.L. King and Ralph Bunch and Coretta King and everybody else, because this is a new nation. A new Ghana has come into being. And now Nkrumah stands the leader of that great nation. And when he drives out, the people standing around the streets of the city, after Parliament is open, cry out, All hail Nkrumah. The name of Nkrumah crowning around the whole city, everybody crying this name because they knew he had suffered for them, he had sacrificed for them, he'd gone to jail for them. This was the birth of a new nation. This nation was now out of Egypt and had crossed the Red Sea. Now it will confront its wilderness. Like any breaking loose from Egypt, that is the wilderness ahead. That is a problem of adjustment. Krumah realizes that. That is always this wilderness standing before him. For instance, it's a one-crop country, cocoa maize. Sixty percent of the cocoa of the world comes from the Gold Coast or from Ghana. In order to make the economic system more stable, it would be necessary to industrialize. Cocoa is too fluctuating to base a whole economy on that. So that is the necessity of industrializing. Krumah said to me that one of the first things that he will do is to work toward industrialization. And also he plans to work toward the whole problem of increasing the cultural standards of the community. Still, 90% of the people are illiterate. And it is necessary to lift the whole cultural standard of the community in order to make it possible to stand up in the free world. Yes, there is the wilderness ahead. Oh, it is my hope that even people from America will go to Africa as immigrants right back to the Gold Coast and lend that technical assistance. For that is great need and Rich there, rich opportunities there. Right now is the time that American Negroes should lend that technical assistance to a growing new nation. I was very happy to see already people who have moved in and making good. The son of the late president of Bennett College, Dr. Jones, is there who started an insurance company and making good going to the top. A doctor from Brooklyn, New York, had just come in that week, and his wife is also a dentist, and they are living there now, going in there and working, and the people love them. There will be hundreds and thousands of people, I'm sure, going over to make for the growth of this new nation. And Nkrumah made it very clear to me that he would welcome any persons coming there as immigrants to live there. I don't think that because they have five million people, the nation can't grow, that that's a small nation to be overlooked. Never forget the fact that when America was born in 1776, when it received its independence from the British Empire, 
There were fewer, less than 4 million people in America. And today it's more than 160 million. So never underestimate a people because uh, it's small now. America was smaller than Ghana when it was born. That is a great day ahead. The future is on its side. It's going now through the wilderness. But the promised land is ahead. I want to take just a few more minutes as I close to say three or four things that this reminds us of and things that it, it, that it says to us, things that we must never forget as we ourselves find ourselves breaking a loose from an evil Egypt, trying to move through the wilderness toward the promised land of cultural integration. Ghana has something to say to us says to us first that the oppressor never voluntarily gives freedom to the oppressed. You have to work for it. Live in Cromer and the people of the Gold Coast had not stood up persistently revolting against the system, it would still be a colony of the British Empire. Freedom is never given to anybody. For the oppressor has you in domination because he plans to keep you there and he never voluntarily gives it up. That is where the strong resistance comes. Privileged classes never give up their privileges without strong resistance. So don't go out this morning with any illusion. Don't go back into your homes and around Montgomery thinking that the Montgomery City Commission and that all of the forces in the leadership of the South will eventually work out this thing for Negroes. It's going to work out. It's going to roll in on the wheels of inevitability. If we wait for it to work itself out, it will never be worked out. Freedom only comes through persistent revolt, through persistent agitation, through persistently rising up against the system of evil. The first protest is just the beginning. Buses are integrated in Montgomery, but that is just the beginning. And don't sit down and do nothing now because the buses are integrated. Because if you stop now, we will be in the dungeons of segregation and discrimination for another hundred years. And our children and our children's children will suffer all of the bondage that we have lived under for years. It never comes voluntarily. We've got to keep on keeping on in order to gain freedom. It never comes like that. It would be fortunate if the people in power had strength enough to go on and give up, but they don't do it like that. It is not done voluntarily. It is done through the pressure that comes about from people who are oppressed. If there had not been a Gandhi in India with all of his noble followers, India would have never been free. If there had not been an Nkrumah and his followers in Ghana, Ghana would still be a British colony. If there had not been abolitionists in America, both Negro and white, we might still stand today in the dungeons of slavery. The 
And because there have been in every period there always those people in every period of human history who don't mind getting their necks cut off, who don't mind being persecuted and discriminated and kicked about because they know that freedom is never given out. But it comes through the persistence and the continual agitation and revolt on the part of those who according to system. Garner teaches us that. It says there's another thing. It reminds us of the fact that a nation or a people can break a loose from oppression without violence. Nkrumah says in the first two pages of his autobiography, which was published on the 6th of March, a great book which you ought to read, he said that he had studied the social systems of social philosophers. He started studying the life of Gandhi and his technique. And he said that in the beginning, he could not see how they could ever get loose from colonialism without armed revolt, without armies and ammunition rising up. Then he says after he continued to study Gandhi, continued to study this technique, he came to see that the only way was through non-violent positive action. He called his program positive action. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That here is a nation that is now free, and it is free without rising up with arms and with ammunition. It is free through non-violent means. Because of that, the British Empire will not have the bitterness for Ghana that she has for China, so to speak. Because of that, when the British Empire leaves Ghana, she leaves with a different attitude than she would have left with if she had been driven out by armies. We've got to revolt in such a way that after revolt is over, we can live with people as our brothers and their sisters. Our aim must never be to defeat them or humiliate them. On the night of the state balls, standing up talking with some people. Mordecai Johnson called my attention to the fact that Prime Minister Kwame Krumah and Krumah was there dancing with the Duchess of Kent. I said, isn't this something? Here is the once serf, the once slave, now dancing with the Lord on an equal plane. That is done because that is no bitterness. These two nations will be able to live together and work together because the breaking of loose was through nonviolence and not through violence. The aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community. The aftermath of nonviolence is redemption. The aftermath of nonviolence is reconciliation. The aftermath of violence, however, is bitterness. This is the thing I'm concerned about. Let us fight passionately and unrelentingly for the goals of justice and freedom. Let's be sure that our hands are clean in the struggle. Let us never fight with falsehood and violence and hate and malice, but always fight with love so that when the day comes that the walls of segregation is completely crumbled in Montgomery, 
we would be able to live with people as our brothers. Oh, my friends, I aim must be not to defeat Mr. Engelhardt, not to defeat Mr. Shallows and Mr. Gale and Mr. Parks. I aim must be to defeat the evil that's in them, but I aim must be to win the friendship of Mr. Gale and Mr. Shallows and Mr. Engelhardt. We must come to the point of seeing that our ultimate aim is to live with all men as brothers and sisters under God and not be their enemies or anything that goes with that type of relationship. This is one thing that God teaches us, that you can break a loose from evil through non-violence, through a lack of bitterness. Kuma says in his book, when I came out of prison, I was not bitter toward Britain. I came out merely with the determination to free my people from the colonialism and imperialism that had been inflicted upon them by Britain. But I came out with no bitterness because of that this world will be a better place in which to live. There's another thing that Ghana reminds us, coming to the conclusion now. Ghana reminds us that freedom never comes on a silver platter. It's never easy. Ghana reminds us that whenever you break out of Egypt, you better get ready for stiff battles. You better get ready for some homes to be bombed. You better get ready for some churches to be bombed. You better get ready for a lot of nasty things to be said about you because you're getting out of Egypt and whenever you break a loose from Egypt, the initial response of the Egyptian is bitterness. It never comes with ease. It comes only through the hardness and persistence of life. Garner reminds us of that. You better get ready to go to prison. When I looked out and saw the prime minister there with his prison cap on that night, that reminded me of that fact. That freedom never comes easy. It comes through hard labor and it comes through toil. It comes through hours of despair and disappointment. That's the way it goes. That is no crown without a cross. I wish we could get to Easter without going to Good Friday, but history tells us that we've got to go by Good Friday before we can get to Easter. That's the long story of freedom, isn't it? Before you get to Cana, you've got a Red Sea to confront. You have a hardened heart of a fairer to confront. You have the prodigious hilltop of evil in the wilderness to confront. And even when you get up, through the promised land, you have giants in the land. The beautiful thing about it is that there are few people who've been over in the land. They have spied enough to say, even though the giants are there, we can possess the land because we got the internal fiber to stand up amid anything that we have to face. The road to freedom is a difficult, hard road. It always makes for temporary setbacks. Those people who tell you today that there's more tension in Montgomery than there's ever been are telling you right. Whenever you get out of Egypt, you, you 
You always confront a little tension. You always confront a little temporary setback. If you didn't confront that, you'd never get out. You must remember that that the tensionless period that we like to think of was a period when the Negro was complacently adjusted to segregation, discrimination, insult, and exploitation. And the period of tension is the period when the Negro has, rise, has decided to rise up and break a loose from that. This is a peace that we are seeking, not an old, negative, obnoxious peace, which is merely the absence of tension, but a positive, lasting peace, which is the presence of brotherhood and justice. And it is never brought about without this temporary period of tension. The road to freedom is difficult. Finally, Garner tells us that the forces of the universe on the side of justice. That's what it tells us now. You can interpret Garner any kind of way you want to, but Garner tells me that the forces of the universe are on the side of justice. That night when I saw that old flag coming down and the new flag coming up, I saw something else. That wasn't just an ephemeral, evanescent event appearing on the stage of history, but it was an event with eternal meaning, for it symbolizes something. That thing symbolized to me that an old order is passing away. A new order is coming into being. An old order of colonialism, of segregation and discrimination is passing away now. And a new order of justice and freedom and goodwill being that's what it says. Somehow the forces of justice stand on the side of the universe. That you can't ultimately trample over God's children and profit by it. I want to come back to Montgomery now, but I must stop by London for a moment. But London reminds me of something. I never will forget day we went into London. The next day we started moving around this great city. The only city in the world is almost as large as New York City. Over 8 million people in London, about 8,300,000. New York, about 8,500,000. London larger than area than New York, though. Standing London is an amazing I never will forget the experience I had. The thoughts that came to my mind, we went to Buckingham Palace. And I looked there at all of Britain, all of the pomp and circumstance of royalty. And I thought about all of the queens and kings that have passed through here. Look at the beauty of the changing of the gods and all of the gods of their beautiful horses. It's a beautiful sight. Move on from there and go over to Parliament. Move into the House of Lords and the House of Commons. There with all of its beauty standing up before the world is one of the most beautiful sights in the world. Then I remember we went on over to Westminster Abbey. I thought about several things when we went in this great church, this great cathedral, the center of the Church of England. We walked around and 
nation by the church of England. Something else came to my mind. God comes in the picture even when the church won't take a stand. God has injected a principle in this universe. God has said that all men must respect the dignity and worth of all human personality. And if you don't do that, I will take charge. It seems this morning that I can hear God speaking. I can hear him speaking throughout the universe. Then be still and know that I am God. If you don't stop, if you don't straighten up, if you don't stop exploiting people, I'm going to rise up and break the backbone of your power. And your power will be no more and the power of Great Britain is no more. I looked at France. I looked at Britain and I thought about the Britain that could boast the sun never sets on our great empire. I say now she has gone to the level that the sun hardly rises on the British Empire because it was based on exploitation, because the God of the universe eventually takes a stand. And I say to you this morning, my friends, rise up and know that if you struggle for justice, you do not struggle alone, but God struggles with you. And he's working every day. Somehow I can look out. I can look out across the seas and across the universe. Cry out, my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He's tramping out the visits where the grapes of wrath are stored. Then I think about it because his truth is marching on. And I can sing another chorus. Hallelujah. Glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Then I can hear Isaiah again because that has profound meaning to it. That somehow every valley shall be exalted, every hill shall be made low. The plain, the, the plain, the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. That's the beauty of this thing, all flesh shall see it together. Not some from the heights of Park Street, and others from the dungeons of slum areas. Not some from the pinnacles of the British Empire and some from the dark deserts of Africa. Not some from inordinate superfluous wealth and others from abject, deadly poverty. Not some white and not some black, not some yellow and not some brown. But all flesh shall see it together. They shall see it from Montgomery. They shall see it from New York. They shall see it from Ghana. They shall see it from China. I can look out and see a great number that John saw marching into the great eternity because God is working in this world and at this hour and at this moment. God granted we will get on board and start marching with God because we got orders now to break down the bondage and the walls of colonialism, exploitation, and imperialism, to break them down to the point that no man will trample over another man that all men would respect the dignity and worth of all human personality. Then we will be in Canaan's freedom land. Moses might not get to see Canaan, but his children will see it. He even got to the mountaintop enough to see it, and that assured him that it was coming. But the beauty of the thing is that there's always a just way to take up his work and take the children on in. And it's there waiting with its milk and honey, all of the bountiful duty that God has in store for his children.
Oh, what exceedingly marvelous things God has in store for us. Granted, we would follow him enough to gain them. Oh, God, our gracious Heavenly Father, help us to see the insight that comes from this new nation. Help us to follow thee and all of thy creative work in this world that somehow we will discover that we are made to live together as brothers, that it will come in this generation the day when all men will recognize the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. Amen. That's Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. on April the 7th, 1957, a birth of a new nation, just giving his account of and his experience there being in the new nation that we know today as Ghana. And as he said, you know, we are uh, the children, the children. He said, that, you know, that Moses may not see the promised land, but the children shall see it. So we as the children in that symbolic sermon, what are we seeing today and what are we doing? I want to thank you for tuning in to Wealthy Sisters today. This has been a very special tribute to none other than Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. I want to encourage you to continue to teach your children and teach your nieces and your nephews and, and to educate them on where we've come from and the, the sacrifices that were made and the accomplishments that we've made today and what we can do to continue to take responsibility for our lives and for our communities. Again, thank you for tuning in. Catch us next week here again, 12 noon Eastern, and continue to have a super fantastic day. This has been another episode of Wealthy Sisters, brought to you by the professional black woman. Turning your concepts into cash. Join Deborah Hardnett, our host next week, as she interviews another powerful, progressive, and positive sister. And visit us on the web at www.wealthysisters.com. That's www.wealthysistas.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. 
No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.